0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Addiction Audio podcast. My name is Ben Sher, and I'm delighted to be here today with Professor Jerry Cochran. Welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So um, today, um, Professor Cochran is going to be speaking to us about a brand new study, which has just been published um, in the Addiction Journal. And the study is titled Patient Navigation for Pregnant Persons with Opioid Use Disorder Results from a Randomized Multisite site pilot trial. So before we we start going into the paper, um, Professor Cochran, could you just tell us a little bit about um, your area of research? And um, yeah, what you look into more broadly?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, my background, uh, primarily has been in social work. Um, I'm, a, I'm a social worker, and I've done most of my education in that. Uh, so a lot of my a lot of my research really focuses on behavioral health interventions. Um, I specialize in um, non-addiction specialty care settings like um, OBGYN settings or pharmacy or psychiatry, or emergency medicine, working with um, both the uh, social work professionals or behavioral health professionals in those settings to deliver interventions, but also working with uh, the medical clinicians or other staff within those uh, settings to be able to provide uh, high quality care to get uh, individuals um, who have substance use disorders identified appropriately and um, getting helping them get into care and to stay into care.
0: And so the title of your, of your paper starts with the term patient navigation. Um, so what exactly is, for myself, I, I've never heard this term before and many of our listeners won't as well. So what is patient navigation um, and how is it relevant to this population?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there's a there's a bit of a history with patient navigation in the United States. Um, it started in New York City, um, I think, about 25 or 30 years ago. There was a uh, there was an oncologist in in um, in New York City who had noticed um, uh, very poor rates uh, for mortality and engagement in care and outcomes for um, low income. Uh, women with breast cancer. And so uh, that person devised this idea of patient navigation, which which is an individual that can help um, uh, patients uh, navigate or kind of circumvent very complex uh, health systems. As as you know, as I know, uh, there's a lot of moving parts within medical and hospitals, clinics, and things like that. So having an individual that can help a patient really figure out where they need to go, how they need to get there. And then most importantly, when the experiences aren't like fabulous, how to stay engaged in care, how to either overcome the barriers or to pivot and go to another service provider and not fall out of care. And so that... That uh, tradition of patient navigation has kind of lasted here in the U.S. for a number of years, and they've expanded patient navigation beyond oncology to a number of different uh, different um, health uh, fields. And just in the last 10 years, they've really started applying it to behavioral health with people with substance use disorders, uh, because not only is the health system that they interact with uh, very complex, but the treat the, the substance use treatment system is very complex as well as the social services system, and mental health, you know, all these systems are complex. So a patient navigator really is to be that kind of one-on-one clinical support to the individual to help them identify the care they need and then overcome barriers of staying engaged in care in the long term. Uh, because as we know, as we kind of view it, you know, addiction is a chronic health condition needs a long time um, for, um, uh, for recovery and for helping individuals uh, uh, stay engaged,
0: and so so with this background, um, this conceptual background, looking at patient navigation, how did this tie into kind of the aims of your research? What what you, what was you and your team primarily trying to find out?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, looking at looking at pregnant individuals with opioid use disorder, um, it. There's oftentimes when, when, when people become pregnant, there's, there's a lot of good behavioral change that happens. If you look at the literature, um, people really start taking care of themselves. Um, however, uh, with people who have opioid use disorder and are pregnant, um, there is a bit of a challenge of, um, the idea of staying engaged in care while they're pregnant, but also after they're pregnant, uh, particularly you see, um, return to use rates in the population, in the perinatal or in the postnatal period, you know, 50 to 100% of people returning to use after they deliver the baby. Um, And, and, and likewise, those individuals have a lot of, um, a lot of stigma and shame associated with substance use during pregnancy. They're viewed by, um, unfortunately, medical clinicians, social service providers as um, fairly uh, undesirable population that they just have made quote, a lot of you know, bad choices and so what we were trying to accomplish with this study was to identify these individuals and get them connected with a patient navigator that could help them uh, stay engaged, well, identify the care services that they needed and then um, throughout their pregnancy and then into the postnatal period, really to help prevent that relapse or that return to use, um, in fact, uh, there's been a recent study that come out has come out of our state that shows that um, uh, individuals with opioid use disorder, the number one cause of death in the postnatal period, is overdose, and usually an opioid overdose. So, really, trying to focus on on helping the population in that area.
0: And so, just in terms of your methodology, how how did you and your team go about answering this question?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we had, um, we had a feasibility study that we did a few years ago, uh, where we just did uh, a single group, you know, had people, uh, we were in a one clinic, a small clinic, and we recruited individuals into the patient navigation arm only, uh, about 25 individuals. And we saw a strong signal in that study, hey, you know, we can keep them engaged, they you know, they do their assessments and things like that. Uh, We even saw kind of time effects. What we were trying to accomplish in this study was, okay, how can we scale this a little bit? Um, This is, it is a difficult population to recruit. Um, uh, These individuals, again, because of the stigma that's associated with the condition They don't readily kind of volunteer, you know, hi, I'm here, kind of help me. So it it does take quite a bit of work. So we knew that we needed to to scale it to a couple of different health systems. So we did it at the University of Utah Health System and University of Pittsburgh Medical Center uh, within their health system. Um, We designed a study that would develop multi-site procedures. Uh, because again, we're looking at scaling this intervention. So develop multi-site procedures, and then implement those procedures in a pilot study to see if the procedures worked. Um, and then also in this study, we all uh, we randomized. We recruited not only individuals and randomized them to the patient navigation condition, but we also had a control group where we randomized them into a briefcase management condition. Um, so that indiv- so that not only could we see if the person with patient na- in the patient navigation condition was changing over time, but also that we could examine if they were changing relative to a very similar person in a similar circumstance who didn't get patient navigation.
0: Fasc- fascinating. And so with, with those methods and kind of looking at two different health systems there, what, what were your results and, and why are these results important? What can they tell us?
1: Yeah, that's again, that's wonderful. Thank you. Good question there. So um, we, we uh, engaged patients uh, for a fairly long period of time. We recruited them on average at about 20 weeks of gestation within the health systems. Uh, we assigned them to the patient navigators, and then we followed them uh, per- providing patient navigation through uh, two months postpartum. And then we followed them an additional four months, so s- six months postpartum, um, collecting data at various time points. Uh, Our primary primary goal in the study was a few things. One, we really wanted to make sure or we wanted to examine uh, if once they were enrolled in the study, we could get them engaged in medication for opioid use disorder, uh, namely buprenorphine or methadone. And then we would uh, count how many days that they were actively uh, engaged in those medications. We also looked at how many days of treatment they attended, whether it was an outpatient program or something like that. Um, that was another, we counted the number of days of treatment. Uh, we also looked at illicit use um, of opioids. And then finally, we asked them about uh, fatal, non-fatal overdoses that they'd experienced. So the, the outcomes showed that um, by and large, uh, across both groups, both Uh, both health systems that individuals who were in the patient navigation, both we we did a number of different analyses. People will see, we kind of really dug into the details to try to understand what was going on. But generally speaking, people in the patient navigation condition had more days of medication for opioid use disorder that they uh, reported. Uh, They had more days of treatment that they reported uh, they also had those and those findings were uh, statistically significant. And again, we looked at it in a bunch of different ways, but statistically significant in a number of different comparisons. And then we saw really strong t- trends for opioid use disorder, um, particularly our opioid uh, illicit opioid use at, to the two month mark postpartum. Um, that was the largest difference, but then it, it attenuated a little bit at the six month mark, but there was still a, a fairly large effect difference between those two groups. And I'll say one thing about the overdose outcome. I, I because we were only recruited about a hundred participants in this study, 50 at each site, I didn't really believe we were going to see much with regard to overdose, um, Uh, the funder actually had really suggested it and said, we really want you to make sure that you look at this outcome. And I thought, okay, it's going to be a really rare event. And it was a rare event. There wasn't a lot of overdose reported, but people in the patient navigation condition at two months, I think we had 5% less of the individuals who uh, were in the patient navigation reported having an overdose. And that attenuated a little bit to like three or 4% at the six month mark. But looking at those numbers, if you can scale those, which is where we're going with this research, if you can scale those kinds of numbers, 5% is not bad when you're talking about uh, a catastrophic outcome like overdose. So.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Um, And so just in terms of you you mentioned the scale there, um, and the number of people that were involved in the study, based on based on these results, do you think that um, kind of the overarching finding that patient navigation works? Do you think this can be scaled up if we're thinking of policy implications at a slightly higher level? um, Yeah, what is what is what does this mean?
1: Yeah, I, I love that question because that's what we're doing right now. I'm, I'm working on the next study uh, that uh, d- developing an application for funding for the next study, and we're and we really are trying to take it to the next level uh, in terms of policy implications in the U.S. Um, uh, there's uh, the the major provider uh, of uh, prenatal care, postnatal care, delivery services, as well as substance use cares is called the Medicaid program. So we're currently uh, working our application is designed to implement the patient navigation program within a medicaid within a state medicaid program um, we'll have much easier time recruiting because it'll involve multiple health systems it'll be across a whole state um, with the idea that in addition to just running a clinical trial and in this next version we're going to run a power clinical trial uh, the study we're talking about now Gave us some pilot data so that we could estimate how many patients we really needed to see a powered effect. But we're also uh, implementing um, or utilizing implementation science methods where we're going to meet with uh, the state health leaders, medical clinicians, and also uh, healthcare clinic staff and come up with what's called a, an implementation playbook. It's a series of strategies uh, that an individual or a a system or a state could use to not only um, see, okay, how how do we implement this type of service in a Medicaid program? But when there's challenges, how do we how do we overcome those challenges? or What are some strategies around that? So we're going to develop a playbook. And then the third aim for this study is uh, what a lot of payers care about uh, is, is cost is we'll actually ask because we're working with a Medicaid program, we'll ask them for the claims data for the participant in the clinical trial. Um, and we'll examine how much uh, how much it cost for somebody to be in the patient navigation program or how many, how much the cost was for the services they utilized. And then we'll compare that to a, a control group uh, in order to in order to kind of demonstrate if it really is saving money in the long term. Uh, imagine this. If, if a person is not managed uh, in terms of pregnancy and, and a lot of illicit use, there can be a lot of um, high cost outcomes like uh, neonatal intensive care unit, uh, emergency department. Uh, if we can avoid some of those costs, it starts to, for patient navigation, it starts to really show value for a, a program like Medicaid or a state health insurer to say, hey, you know, wow, if we invest in this kind of a program, we can not only help the patients, help the babies, but we can uh, we can save money while doing it.
0: And and sadly, the saving money part a lot of the time is what is what you need to get some of these interventions across the line, even if they are able to show the, the impact on the the human. Yeah. Level. Um, no, that
1: is it's, that is a very insightful statement. That's very true. Yes.
0: Yeah, so um, broadening out now, one of the one of the final questions throughout the paper, and actually throughout um, kind of our discussion now, you have mentioned how stigma is one of the main barriers to this population accessing healthcare. Um, What do you think can be done, needs to be done to overcome stigma within the healthcare system? How do we reduce the stigma experienced by um, people, people who are pregnant, people and people using using opioids?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And this is an, uh, this is obviously a question that goes beyond pregnancy. I mean, people with substance use disorders um, are oftentimes looked at as um, you know, uh, they have made bad life choices or something like that. And therefore, you know, that that's why they're in the situation they're in. I think looking particularly at the pregnant population, um, as clinicians and allied health professionals or clinic staff or hot, you know, administrator hospital administrators, as they understand who the person is and understand their background. Um, I think they start, I think individuals who may have those stigmatized views start to understand, Oh, I see that this person may, there may be more going on in this person's life than just quote unquote, bad choices. If you look at the, 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 development or the the adolescent or childhood of the the women in our study or the pregnant people in our studies, you see just an immense amount of uh, neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, You see see physical injury that has led to use of opioids. Um, And you see these things, and and as you start to kind of grapple with that history of the patient, you start to understand. Okay, I understand. Maybe what's going on? Maybe the patient is trying to uh, kind of uh, figure out some of their own problems, and and they maybe selected a coping mechanism or a tool that isn't necessarily effective for dealing with that that trauma that, if honestly, they faced earlier on in their lives. Um, so the other thing that I'll just say, kind of adding to that, there's a lot of social determinant related health issues, poverty, rural versus urban mental health, uh, things of that nature, that if you look at this patient population, the social determinants of health really wrap around a lot of their experience. Uh, So being able to address those sorts of issues and understand that there's those kinds of issues going on as well with this population, uh, I think the people who may have those stigmatized views start to gain empathy and sympathy.
0: Definitely. Um and so you mentioned briefly earlier what's next for this study you've conducted the pilot you're going to look to scale it up um to bigger health systems now but um maybe just touching yeah, a bit a bit on what's next for um you personally are you carrying on with this research are you moving on to different areas of work um yeah what is, what is what is next on the table for you
1: yeah no that's great <laughs> you know we um my work uh, really spans across again different healthcare settings. Uh, we do a lot of work in opioids. Honestly, um, we have a variety of different studies. Uh, my work really is trying to develop interventions that can be scaled. If you look at, you know, look at my kind of my portfolio of projects, you see this constant, you know, development pilot efficacy, kind of the, the, the pipeline, as it were. And several of the studies I'm involved in right now are really trying to do that and take evidence based interventions, put them in large scale practice, um, and make them sustainable in the long term. And that's really exciting. And it's really satisfying when you're able to identify a partner like a Medicaid program or a, a large pharmacy chain or something like that. And help them integrate into their workflow, into their system, something that might help patients and think, oh, wow, you know, not only could we help patients in a single clinic, but we could help patients in a, in a state or across the country. So that's, that's where my work really is focusing.
0: Fascinating. What really exciting stuff. And Professor Cochran, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And if you want to, um, check out Professor Cochrane's paper that's just been released in the Addiction Journal. Um, Yeah, go straight to the Addiction Journal um, and and have a look. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.